Well, this morning we're going to continue in John, the Gospel of John. We'll be in actually chapter 8 today. You know, when I started this, I was, I was looking at the Gospel of John, and I've gone through it in the past and different, different emphasis and different things through the, through the whole book. But when I started this, I was looking at John from an, the aspect of doubt. Um, we all face different kinds of doubt in our lives and different kinds of, 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 of responses we have to God, maybe in the times when things are tough, when prayers aren't being answered, when, when things just aren't going our, our way, and we wonder, well, where's God at in the middle of all of this? And so I kind of started looking at the Gospel of John from an aspect of doubt, because John said, I write these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing in him you might have life, and uh, or you might have life in him. And so I've been looking at this, this book, and from that standpoint, trying to step back and take a look at it. And in chapter 8 is kind of, a, kind of a, um, a key chapter in this book, because in this chapter, the discussion that's going on that is taking place between the Jews and Jesus is about who Jesus is. And, and who is he? In fact, we have that question. I, I don't know if you're on social media or whatever, if you, if you read blogs and if you're trying to look up and see about who Jesus is, you're, you're going to find all kinds of different perspectives about who Jesus is. More and more, in fact, I'm finding that people do not believe that Jesus was God or the God man, fully God, fully flesh. That he was, he, was, he was God incarnate in our presence. In fact, I, I find more and more where people want to attribute things to Jesus. You, you have different movements where we're saying that, that Jesus is one of those ways. He was, you know, talk about his spirit or his consciousness. And it kind of enlightens us and leads us the way down to the path of, 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 of life, so to speak, where the fullness of life. And that, or that Jesus is really in all of us. And it's just, we have to look within and kind of begin to see that. And he kind of leads and guides us. That Jesus was a good teacher, some would say, or a good prophet. Prophet, um, or that, that Jesus really wasn't, you know, a man physically. He was a spirit. And that was one of the things that John was combating when he wrote this gospel. And so the question becomes, who is Jesus? And today, in the discourse between Jesus and the Jews, that gets, that gets really heated, actually. You, you'll see some things that are said that, that are kind of interesting in which there, there's a challenge about who Jesus' person is. And what you begin to see is really that the, the Jews were expressing their, their, their unbelief uh, in the fact of not just who Jesus, what he was saying, but who he claimed to be. And so those become very important issues as we look at it. And so if you take your Bibles and you turn to John chapter 8 and verse 12. John chapter 8 verse 12. And I'm reading from the ESV. You can follow along as well in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, right off the bat, Jesus makes one of his I am statements. And, and he says, I am the light of the world. And if you, if you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. And when you talk about the Jewish mind, often a lot of times when it heard light, it thought of that, that aspect of God where, whereby he, he self ma- makes himself known or manifests himself or he leads into, uh, the, the children of Israel. And when they think of the word darkness, they think of, of, of the idea of, of a lost condition of humanity. That humanity is in this condition whereby they're lost and they're, they're groping in darkness and they're looking for their way. 
And so there's that kind of idea. So when the Jew thought of light, they would think of God revealing himself and leading the way for them. You can find that in lots of passages. Here's a couple in Psalm 119, 105, probably a familiar verse. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Um, it lights the way that I go. It directs me. It's, it's a lamp. It lets me know. Psalm 43.3 says, send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. So when you talk about in the Jewish perspective, when they, they see light and darkness, they see light as in a sense where there's this making known, a manifesting of God and, 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 and leading the way for, the, for, the, for Israel. In fact, it was very obvious when God was bringing his people out of, out of Egypt. By day, he led them by a, a cloud, and by night, he led them by a pillar of fire that lighted the way, that showed them where to go. So they always knew by this light where God was leading. And now Jesus enters into the scene in the, ma- the mass of humanity and in the, in the darkness of humanity. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will find what? The light of life. That's a powerful statement about Jesus and who he is. Jesus is saying that I am the one that will bring humanity out of darkness. In the mind of the Jew who sees humanity lost in this lost condition of darkness where they're groping about in the, in the iniquity of their sins and trying to find their way. And Jesus is saying, here I am. I am the light of the world. Now, to the Jews who were looking at Jesus, this was a powerful statement. When Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world, that he's shining into humanity and the the darkness of humanity and the darkness of unbelief and he's showing them the path or the way that they're to to, to go. In fact, Jesus wasn't just a light. He was the light. In 1 Corinthians chapter four, I'm gonna read from there. In chapter four and verse uh, 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 three and following, it says this. And even if our gospel is veiled, It is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, what, what he's talking about there is that in the light of Christ, he's made it known. The world has been blinded. Those who are perishing, those who are dying in their sins, he's going to make that reference in a minute. But to those who are perishing, the, the God of this age has blinded their minds. He's blinded their minds in unbelief. And the Jews could not see past their unbelief and see who Jesus was. And the God of this age has blinded their minds, but but God has shined into the darkness. I love the picture where I remember when several years ago when our kids were young, we went to the Grand Canyon. We actually were able to stay kind of like in the little village there, right on the rim almost. And I remember one morning where he got up and 
You go out there before the sun comes up, right? And then as the sun comes up, it begins to shine out across the, 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 the landscape. And you begin to see the rays of the sun starting to overtake uh, the darkness and overtake the landscape. And, and it was beautiful as it would shine out across the Grand Canyon. And you would just see the, the magnificence of that light overtaking. And it's the same picture here. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it's a picture of that Jesus is shining into the darkness, that God has sent his son to shine into the darkness and to expose and to make known that the way of salvation is here, that, that this is the light, the light of life, and that it's to be received and needs to be believed. And so as soon as Jesus makes this statement, though, man, it sends off sparks. It begins a discourse through this whole chapter that it kind of gets almost rude on both sides. It, it becomes very blank and very, very pointed in the conversation. In fact, in verses 13 through following, in fact, in verse 13, the Pharisees, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. There's this immediate like, hey, you're, you're bearing witness of yourself. There's supposed to be two witnesses. But you're bearing your own witness. It's false. This is false. And any chance the Jews had to discredit Jesus, they tried. And Jesus, in the following discourse, Jesus says, hey, I know my origin. I know where I came from. And I know where I'm going. But you don't know where you're going. You see, where you are is you're in a position where you're dying in your sins. But I know where I'm going. And I know, I know who sent me. And if you believed him who sent me, you would believe the words that I speak. And so it's a real discourse that begins to kind of begin to intensify. And the Jews are wanting to know, how can you make these claims? How can you say these? On what authority do you have to say them? What, what, what right do you have? Um, when I was in the restaurant business, I used to get, get sent on the road quite often. And one of, my, one of my responsibilities was to go in to help underperforming restaurants become better performing restaurants. Uh, we're in, they were in the business to make money and that was part of the business model. And I had, if you will, a little bit of a gift of helping turn restaurants around. So I would get sent to these, I would get sent to these restaurants and nobody even knew who I was. In fact, most of the time I would show up and not have anything that identified me with the company and I would, I would visit the restaurant as a guest. I would never, never indicate who I was. But I always knew when there came this moment when I would identify who I was and then I would begin to address some of the issues and I would get these responses like, well, who do you think you are, right? And that's what they're saying to Jesus. Like, what authority do you have to come into this world and to say these things? And they were saying to me, Greg, what right do you have to come into this restaurant and to begin to correct things or change things? What authority are you doing this upon? Well, it usually only took a phone call and everything changed. Their whole attitude towards me changed, right? Well, here's the idea. They're asking, who are you to have the right Jesus to say these things? Well, the reason he can say these things is because of who he is. And it's really important as us as believers in those times of doubt, in those times of, of uncertainty when God doesn't seem to be close, where our prayers don't seem to be getting answered, where the difficult circumstances come our way, that we remind ourselves about who he is. And that's what's going on here, that Jesus is conf con confronting them about who he is. If you look down at verse 21 and through verse 24, 25, this is, what, this is where the discourse picks up. So he, he said to them, 
Jesus said to them, I'm going away and you will, you will seek me and you will die and, and you will, I'm sorry, you will seek me and you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? In verse 23, he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So, so Jesus is bringing out really a kind of a dual destiny, if you will. Jesus is trying to recognize, help them to recognize that the path that they're on is a path of destruction. You're gonna end up in your sins. But I'm not of this world, you are of this world, I am not. Jesus is from a different place. He was sent from the Father. Because of that, he is stepping into our world and he has the right to say these things because of who he is. And Jesus is letting them know, I'm, I'm from a different world. I'm from a different place. In fact, there's a picture here that's being drawn as Jesus goes through this argumentation. So please understand this. Literally throughout John, the Gospel of John, you would read often where Jesus says, what I hear my Father say, I say. What I see my father do, I do. And the picture of the unity of the father and the son was such that was to see the son was to see the father. So the picture was that when they, when they would hear Jesus speak these things and they didn't believe, it was because they didn't believe the father. There was such a unity in, in, in who Jesus and the father was. And Jesus is telling them, hey, I'm not from this world. I'm, I know my origin. I know where I'm going and I'm not from this world. And so the message I'm preaching is a message of truth. But if you don't believe, you will die in your sins. Really tough, hard statement of truth. Verse, verse 25, so they, the Jews, said to him, who are you? They're not asking him like, where did you come from? What's your name? What kind of work do you do? You know, those kind of greetings when we ask somebody about, about themselves. That's always they're asking. They're asking, who are you? Who do you have the right to say this? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. It's nothing new. It's exactly what I've been saying to you. In our home, we like to watch the, uh, even the old reruns of The Office sometimes because it's, there's so many hilarious scenes in there. Um, there's one scene where Michael is kind of pressing Stanley and it's in a kind of a, business meeting or team meeting or whatever. And he's pressing Stanley and Stanley keeps going, no, no, no. And Michael keeps pressing and finally Stanley goes, did I stutter? And the whole room goes quiet. And it's hilarious, right? I mean, I think it's hilarious. But, it, but it, the whole room just goes completely quiet. It's almost like right here, Jesus saying, it's exactly what I told you. Did I, was I stuttering? Have I told you anything different? Do you not understand the intensity of what I'm saying? I'm not changing what I'm saying. But because of their unbelief about Jesus, not just his claims, but about his very person, they continue on in the discourse to do everything they can to discredit who Jesus is. Jesus hasn't changed in what he's saying. They say, he says, what I've been telling you. In fact, down in verse 28, I'm not gonna read it, but in verse 28, he tells them that when he's lifted up, when he's on the cross, then you will know who I am. You will know then. In verse 30, in fact, if you go on down to verse 30, it says, as he, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. There were many that were believing when he said, I am the light of the world, and they believed. They, they believed what Jesus said. They believed what he had, he had proclaimed. 
And as a result, there would be freedom from their sins. That's what he says in verse 31. He says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you are able, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, we are set free by Jesus. I spent, and I've shared this before, learning of God's grace, but really learning, learning of what God has done for me and the power of that in my own life and how it has radically changed my life. And then I was at one time preaching in a little church. I was pastoring a church, and I was preaching to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I remember that word, growing grace. I thought, well, I understood about growing in knowledge, right? You just learn more. You can grow in knowledge, even though that word's epigenosis, which means it's an experiential knowledge. So there's another aspect to that. But to grow in grace, I just, it just kind of blew my mind. How do you grow in God's grace? And then I read another verse in Galatians where it says, Having begun in the spirit, are you now perfected in the flesh? And it's such in the Greek that it's imperative, meaning no way, or God forbid. Having begun in the spirit, are you now perfected in the flesh? God forbid. And yet in my mind, I always kind of thought, well, how I conducted myself determined my salvation, right? And I was, I was even pastoring and preaching. But I was still struggling with this aspect of the freedom that I have in Christ. And then I read in Galatians 5.1, for freedom... Christ has set you free. And not to, not to entangle myself or to connect myself or yoke myself to, the, to that slavery of sin anymore. And the picture is of being set free, not to live as I please, but set free to live for God. And the more and more that I grow in my God's grace, the more and more I grow in my relationship with God, the more and more I hate iniquity because I realize what it does to my life. It's when we begin to walk with him and have that relationship with him that we understand the power and the intensity of that relationship with the almighty God. And in the minds of the Jews, they have broken it down to to a system, to to rituals, and to a certain accounting of one another. But that fell short, for freedom is really found in Jesus Christ, to abide in his word, to abide in in him, to to take up residence there. Verse 33, well, the Jews, they hear this, so they respond in verse 33. They answer him, we are the offspring of Abraham and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I found that so interesting. I, uh, every time I read that, because I mean, at the moment, they're under Roman rule. I mean, they're being dictated by a lot of the Roman law at the time. I mean, were they not taken by Babylon, Assyria, have they not been in bondage and captivity before? They understood that, that God gave them freedom, that even in those difficult things, that God was their God. And they, weren't, they were free in the sense that God was going to see them through. But they really didn't understand the full implications of all that, that Jesus was saying here. So, so Jesus has three responses, I think, in the following passages through the end of the chapter. There's three different times where Jesus uses this term, truly, truly. The word truly literally means it is so, it is so. In the NIV, I think it says it is, to, it is true, I think is what it says. But um, it, it's this idea. And so what happens is, is when you say truly, truly in the, in, in, in the gospel here, John is using it as an emphasis. So he, he wants you to hear what he's having to say. It's kind of, it's kind of like when you overemphasize, you know, like when I was a kid, my mom would say, Gregory Scott Lingle. I knew right then, boy, better line up. If she said Greg, I still had room, right? But once the full name came out, I better listen. Well, here's the picture. It's the same thing. 
It is true, it is true. Hear what he's about to say. And he does this three different times. Once here, verse 34, once in verse 51, and then again in 58. And all of them relate to this continuation of this conversation he's having with the Jews. In verse 34, he says, Jesus answered them, it is true, it is true. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Boy, just the pen just dropped. Jesus is talking about this the, the slavery of iniquity, of our own depravity. I was skiing. I loved going skiing all the time when I was growing up. Went skiing all the time. And I uh, was on a, even got onto a ski team at my school. And it was really, really cool. I loved going skiing. I remember I got really brave and began to want to ski back in the bowls on the backside of the mountain where there's a lot of powder and so forth. And powder skiing, is, if you've done it, there's a little bit of a different difference to it, not much, but you've got to understand what's going on. And I can remember one time I was skiing and I was trying to cut around a tree, just, you know, I was going to try to be really cool or whatever, but I didn't anticipate the amount of powder that was underneath that tree. And so as I hit it, my skis kind of went down and man, see, and I know I'm in the middle of this, in this powder and I'm, and if you've ever been in powder and like in Colorado where I grew up, if you've ever been in powder that doesn't have any water in it, it's like, it's like quicksand. I mean, the harder you work, the deeper you go, you know? And so I remember I got my skis off and kind of threw them out and I was trying to work and I was just going down further and further and I was yelling for my friends and finally one of them heard me, you know, throwing out my ski pole, trying to get him to pull me out. I really didn't care if anything else made it because I was just wanting to get out of this. I couldn't, I could not get out of it on my own accord. And powder, if you've ever been in powder, it's kind of like it's everywhere. It gets down your shirt. I mean, there is no place powder doesn't get. And, and I remember pulling, getting pulled out of that and just how, how exhausted I was. And I often think of that picture when I think about slavery to sin. You see, the picture is, is that in humanity, we, we can't climb out of it. I, I, I've, I've tried. I've, I've done this where, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore, right? And, and, and it lasts maybe an hour. Boy, that's doing good, you know? Or maybe, maybe I conquer and it's a day or two. But the bottom line is, in and of myself, I could not conquer that, that sin. I could not conquer that way of sin, that, that, that sin nature that's in every one of us, that causes us to be plunged into the hopelessness of humanity. And that Jesus stepped into our world, that's what he was stepping into our world when he said, I am the light of the world. Here I am. And he's shining light into that helplessness and hopelessness of slavery to sin that all who would believe would have life. You see, if you walked in the door today and you haven't done that, you're, you're enslaved. You may not know it. You just know things don't fit right or feel right, but you, you may not know that. But that real freedom, genuine freedom comes when we believe, when we place our faith in him and the work he's done and he gives life. It's a picture of what Jesus is drawing here for these, for these Jews is that, is that in the darkness of their sin, he has shined light into this world. It's, it's that, and then he goes on in the verse 35, he says, he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains, remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the picture is that Jesus says, because I'm the son of God, because I am his, because I am God, he has full privilege to set us free. 
I, I'm not able to do that on myself, but he has the privilege and he has the right because of who he is. The Jews are wanting to know, how do you have the right to say these things? Because he's God. And so they continue in their, in their discussion. In fact, it really gets, gets kind of rough between here and really verse 50. And the talk, discourse is they move to now, who is your father? They're asking Jesus who his father is. They say, hey, you know, we're Abraham's. Abraham is our father. And they go so far as to say, and we were not born of sexual immorality, by the way. What is what a driving the knife in and trying to turn it? You remember Joseph and Mary? Mary was, was, became pregnant as a virgin. It wasn't because of immorality. It was because of the hand of God. And yet they carried that, and Joseph was going to put away his own daughter, and yet he didn't, did he? God revealed to him, and, and, he took, and he lived with this. I mean, here Jesus is now 30 plus years old, around 30 years old, and here it is, they're still bringing it up. And Jesus responds, and he says to them, you're of your father, the devil, because you tell lies. You know how I know you're the father of the devil? Because I'm telling the truth, and what I'm telling you is true. And if you knew truth, if you knew my father, you say God is your father. If you knew my father, you would know that I'm telling you the truth. But because you don't, you don't believe me. And you don't believe in the father. You believe in the father of lies. And the reason you don't believe is because he is your father. Man, just real intense in this passage as he walks through that passage and as the words go back and forth, as Jesus is reminding them over and over and over again of their own slavery to sin, but also of his, his origin, that he is the son of God. And then in verse 51, you get the second time where he says, it is true, it is true. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Okay, all these things you're saying, you're trying to draw me in and, and show me to be from an immoral father, which isn't true. You're trying to discredit who my father is, isn't true. But let me tell you this, it is true, it is true. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If one will receive me and believe in me, he will not see death. And he's talking about here spiritual life. He's talking about giving them eternal life. It comes through the son who has the rights to confer these privileges. It doesn't come through our ability where if somehow we soul search and find somewhere in the depths of our being the essence of life, it's not there, it's found in Jesus. God is, tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that God has placed eternity in our hearts. And I believe that's an idea of, of a God consciousness. That's why we're, we're not complete until we really have that relationship with him. Until we know him and know who Jesus is, we really don't understand the fullness and the essence of life. In fact, Jesus says, anyone who receives him, his message, they will never die. It was a way out of the sin of slavery was through, through belief. Jesus told Martha later in this book, in chapter 11, verse 25, he tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. When someone you love passes them knowing Jesus and that Jesus is the resurrection of the life and the life gives great comfort because he is the sustainer of life. 
I know that I will live. Why? Because he lives. I know that I will stand before the Father in righteousness. Why? Because he is righteous. I simply believe what God has told me he will do. Not anything I accomplish, simply believing. He goes on after verse 51 and verse 52, this discourse continues. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Listen to this. Abraham died as, he, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? In other words, we've seen them die. We've seen them pass. Are you greater than them? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him or know him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do, I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it. And he was glad. Now, here's a, this is a picture. God made a promise to Abraham. And Abraham looked and he looked for that redeemer. And he was rejoicing that now that Jesus was here. Today, I rejoice that Jesus came and that he's alive. I rejoice because of who Jesus is. If Jesus was anything but God, they are completely right. We should throw him out. We should, we should all shut the doors, lock the doors, or turn this into a great fun room or something other than a place to come together as a group of believers worshiping our God if he isn't who he says he is. And the, so verse 57, so the Jews said to him, you are yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Listen to it. It is true. It is true. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That's a powerful statement to the Jewish mind. If you were to go back to Exodus chapter 3, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is going through different, different um, insecurities, uncertainties about going and, and releasing God's people or leading them out of bondage. God said, hey, go. I want you to go and leave my people out. And he has all kinds of concerns. He's worried about his speech. He's worried about all these things. One of the things he asked God, he says, well, if I come to your people and they ask, what is your name? What should I say? Who do I say that you are? And God says, you tell them, I am that I am has sent you. In other words, what God is saying is that I am in and of myself sufficient, all being, absolute God. And he's the one who has sent you. So when Jesus says, to them, I am, before Abraham, I am. He's identifying with God. He's making an absolute claim to deity and the Jews understood exactly what he was saying. When Jesus said, I am, he was saying, I am absolute. I am self-existent. I am the center of everything. The same every day and forever. I am the Lord. I am the creator and the sustainer of life. I am the savior. More, I am more than enough. I am ex inexhaustible and immeasurable. I am the light of the world. I am God, is what he was saying. And the Jews, in all of their indignation, grabbed stones and ready to throw them at him. Because by their law, if a man claimed to be God and he wasn't, they were to be stoned him to death. 
Why would we allow such a crazy man to go and claim to be God? And yet, this claim was true. And they understood it completely. And it tells us that in verse 59, it says that, it says that um, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. I always love that. It wasn't his time to be taken. There's other places in the scripture where you'll see where they were coming for him, and it wasn't time. But the reality is they understood completely and all of humanity became confronted with this truth. Even to this day, as much as humanity tries to discredit Jesus and try to change him from being who he is, the reality is he still made the claim that he is God. And if you don't believe that, then you're not gonna believe the rest of the truths. We might as well start kind of plucking out of this book, right? We might as well start changing the very basis of our faith. If you don't believe that he's God, that he's sent from the Father, and that he entered into humanity, in the darkness of humanity, and shown light to all, that all who would believe would be saved, would be redeemed, would be forgiven, be set free from their sins. It's that Jesus who was in the middle of this world calling people to himself. That Jesus So what do you believe? What do you think? Maybe you came here today and you've never trusted Christ for your salvation. Maybe you just thought, Jesus, you read all these things about him. This is a firsthand account by the apostle John who was there. This was his account. Jesus said these things. So either you have to be confronted with the reality that they were true or be confronted with the idea that they are not. There's no middle ground. There's no Christ consciousness. There's no Christ spirit leading us the way or that Jesus was some man who, be, who started living right and showed us the way or that he was some prophet or some teacher. He was more than that. He was the son of God. He was God. And it makes us uncomfortable in the reality of that sometimes. Because as soon as you recognize that, you're confronted with so many areas of your life. He becomes the king, you are the servant. When I was a kid growing up, or not long after I really started going to church, probably in 11th grade, I actually got to meet Andre Crouch and he wrote a lot of songs, but there was one that stuck out to me. It went like this. I'm not gonna sing it because if I did, y'all would go running out of here. But the words go like this. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there is no other. Jesus is the way. Now that was 30, 40 years ago that I heard that and it's just as true today as it was then. It's just as true during the Reformation. It's just as true in King James's time. It's just as true in the first century that Jesus is the answer for our world. And above him there is no other. And he is the way. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that you would speak to us, your people. That God, we would not follow after lies. That we would not be deceived. But that, Father, we would know the light of the truth. And Father, I remember as a young boy hearing those words when the pastor spoke that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And I remember thinking all these people who had lied to me. I'd seen my parents lie. I'd seen my teachers lie. I'd seen my friends lie. Everybody lied. And how, how, how awesome it would be to know truth. 
Father, I've never known, I've never known you, Father, to deceive me. Father, I've known there's been times that have been struggles in my own walk with you when I would read things and hear things that were true and, and I didn't necessarily want to deal with them in my life. But Father, I've never regretted the day when I was that small boy and, and that, I'd, that I'd received Christ into my life. It's never been a mistake. Father, I pray for your people this morning. I pray, God, your spirit would move among all those that are here. If there's someone here who's never received Christ, then maybe today they can just find me at the back of the, back of the church. And Lord, I could just open the words of life to them. Maybe there's a believer who's struggling. God, just remind them the reason that we have the faith that we have is because of who Jesus is. And may our faith be grounded in him. It's in Jesus' name, amen.